0: Uh, hello everyone, welcome to the 5th episode of the Indian Cycling Podcast, brought to you by The Bike Affair. I am your host, Harsha.
1: And I am your co-host, Gokul. We have a, a guest today, a very good friend and my partner at The Bike Affair, uh, Krishnendu Basu. Hey Krish, can you introduce yourself? Hello guys, it's
2: a pleasure to be here. Uh, for the last uh, week or so, I have been listening to the podcast and I really love them. So. It's a surprise when Gokul asked me to join the podcast. So I am Krish and along with Gokul about 10 years back is when we founded the Bike Affair. I like to travel. I am a big time foodie and a an nature lover. Cycling for me is means to connect to them.
0: Uh, and tell us a little bit about how the Bike Affair came about because that is something our listeners would be interested in.
2: Uh, so it's been about 10 years uh, in, uh, in sometime in 2009. Uh, Around the time in August is when me and Gokul were discussing about what to do (laughs) uh, with respect to the sort of uh, support in the cycling community, and all of a sudden we had this idea that okay, uh, instead of cribbing about the lack of support, uh, why don't uh, we just come up with uh, a support system for the cyclist and and that's how the bike affair was born initially for a year it was just a part-time store that we used to run over the weekend and sometimes even early in the morning for an hour like we used to open six o'clock in the morning based on appointment run it for a hour or two and then shut it down and go to our day job we ran it uh, that way for about a year and then uh, i had i mean i decided to i had a choice between continuing my day job and uh, running the bike affair and i opted uh, to to quit my day job and started running the bike affair. Eventually Gokul joined and that's how we, how we started.
1: Cool. So, uh, Krish, we all know that you love touring and you are a big foodie. So, uh, I, I hope you had a great time in Thailand and Vietnam from, from where you just returned. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so for the last 6-8 uh, months, uh, I have been looking to take my interest of uh, touring to something which is beyond uh, my my own self so we are looking to uh, organize bicycle tours uh, uh, and we had one recently in thailand uh, uh, the focus is on uh, riding through um, lesser known places through smaller country roads uh, uh, so um, the thailand tour it was a smaller group but it uh, it went really well people uh, loved the experience there we were uh, at, at, a, at for about couple of days, we were riding along the mm, the river, the Mekong, uh, in the northern Thailand, which separates uh, Thailand and Laos. And it was a great feeling when you actually ride in one country and mm, and see the life going on in a different country on the other side of the river. Um, so once this tour got over, uh, I I went to Vietnam and spent about a couple of weeks there. So I love the coffee, (laughs) good question, so I am a big fan of coffee like you guys know and Vietnam has a unique culture about their coffee, their coffee is strong and they drink uh, in a different way so when I was in Hanoi I love the culture of the uh, the coffee culture there. So I did spend a couple of weeks in Vietnam just to understand the country um, and see what potential it has with respect to bicycle touring. I had a
0: good experience uh,
1: there. Cool.
0: Yeah, the photos were totally Instagram worthy. I mean, uh, g- and they were like genuinely Instagram worthy. They, they weren't just something uh, that people... Yeah, thanks. Thanks, ad- actually. People actually, add filters, but uh, <laughs> you didn't add and they are still very good. Okay, to be, to
2: be frank, I did add occasional filter <laughs> too. <laughs> but I, uh, the country is beautiful. I took uh, a... Um, uh, I, took a scooter on yeah. hire and put my luggage on it and I was away for uh, more uh, close to about eight or nine days traveling about 1500 kilometer and mm. exploring the countryside just to understand the country a little better.
1: Right. So, so next time you tour you restrict the filters to the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so coming to the topic for today we wanted to discuss about uh, saddles. Uh, uh, before we uh, jump into it uh, uh, Krish, you are our local uh, uh, bike fitter in Hyderabad. So, tell us a little bit about your uh, background in bike fitting and uh, what have you, da- uh, what kind of training and experience you have got. Okay, so uh, I, I have been interested in bike fit for
2: uh, for some time now. So, and initially, while I was, I was just trying to experiment uh, uh, with my knowledge. Uh, but about about a couple of years back, I I traveled to Singapore and uh, and got certified uh, on bike fitting from a German brand called JBumized. And uh, then uh, some uh, middle of last year, I I went back again to do an um, advanced uh, certification, and I spent time with some of the best bike fitters in the world. Uh, so my focus has always been not to just fit the bike um, as a stereotype, but to understand somebody's issues and to solve the problem. So basically, if I am able to solve the problem, that is when I I I actually yes. I'm, yeah I'm happy about uh, what I have done. Otherwise, bike fitting doesn't make. Uh, I mean, just fitting a bike uh, based on some data or stereotypes just uh, doesn't really excite me.
0: And uh, I can vouch for uh, uh, Krish's talent for that because uh, my side strain problems went away when I shifted to a new road bike and he spent uh, two hours doing a bike fit with me and uh, he pointed out uh, so many things that are wrong in my posture that uh, uh, yeah, I should have ideally consulted a physiotherapist by now to get them corrected but uh, hopefully I will do that when I get uh, leads.
2: Thanks, Harsha. And uh, one quick thing that I would like to add is in bike fit, very small changes can actually have a big impact. And with respect to Harsha, I still remember uh, the changes uh, that had uh, the most impact um, on his riding was was just the movement of the fore and aft of the saddle, and the mm, the 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 change actual change was six mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, this is what I was, ref- I, I was sort of misremembering it. I was thinking it's one and a half yeah, centimeter and later I remembered because we, I think we had uh, some WhatsApp conversation also. And I was, I said, wow, like half a centimeter and that's, uh, yes. that that created all the difference. No, I had the
2: report of your bike fit, right? So right. I, I, actually, I was
0: actually listening to the earlier podcast. And then when
2: you say that one and a yeah, half centimeters, yeah. I went back and it wasn't one and a half. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Right. Because you have all the information on that. So, uh, so Krishna, whenever uh, we all face this uh, uh, scenario wherein a new rider, the biggest stumbling block uh, that they have to overcome uh, when they get into cycling is the uh, real pain in the butt. So, <laughs> so literally, literally. So, uh, uh, I, I would. I am pretty sure that uh, we would almost have twice the number of uh, cyclists uh, being regular if they had got this problem resolved uh, quick enough. Very true. Uh, So walk us through this process and what uh, we can or any new rider who is facing problems with the saddle can uh, do and uh, uh, get uh, that problem resolved.
2: So uh, let me start by explaining uh, why we have the, uh, I mean what are the problems we have first. So if I have to divide, there are two different kind of issues, a cyclist, a new cyclist faces. The first is what you said exactly, the pain in the butt. <laughs> so which is typically a pain or numbness in your, uh, in your butt. The pain is typically on the uh, near the seat bones and the numbness could be in the frontal part uh, uh, there. So the other part um, or the other kind of uh, pain uh, uh, is the chafing, which happens uh, when a rider uh, r- uh, is riding his uh, bike, uh, wearing something which is loose, and the friction of the cloth uh, against the skin results in the chafing. So, th- so the second
1: uh, you could also call chafing as like kind of. Uh, scratches or, uh, yeah. or y- yes yes so
2: basically mm, it starts with irritation on the skin and then uh, you f- find small boils on your mm. skin and then you find it difficult to sit on the saddle it's not a pain but it's a, a skin irritation yeah. so this is a something which is easier to get over okay uh, and uh, th- this is something can be av- th- this can be avoided if you are wearing a form fitting cycling cloth okay now going back to the other problem which is the bigger the problem. actual, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the bigger problem, the pain uh, which I want to divide again into the pain and numbness. The pain happens around the seat bones and the numbness happens in the frontal part. So now uh, the reason we have the issues with the seat bones is that we are not used to sit on saddles. So saddles is, uh, is something where you hang your legs. So horses have saddles, bicycles have saddles cars have seats, motorbikes have seats, a chair has seats. So we are more used to, if you just think back what we do in our daily life, we are sitting uh, on a seat, not exactly on a saddle. So when you sit on a saddle, that is when you load your ischial tuberosis, which is the, sorry, the ischial tuberosity, which is basically the seat bones. And since we are not used to do that, so there is a bit of swelling around that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the swelling is on the bone itself? Uh, it's not on the bone, it's, it's around. Okay. Um, but it is, uh, it is something that you can uh, uh, you can eliminate uh, just by um, a couple of rides. So you, you, you get used mm-hmm. to it. We just need to ensure that the first ride is uh, not too long. Mm-hmm. So you don't cross that threshold where you really start mm-hmm. feeling that I don't want to get back on the saddle again. So I recommend an hour, hour and a half, uh, not longer than that first time you mm-hmm. sit on the saddle. Uh, and um, probably around similar time um, uh, on the second time, and then starting from the third time onwards, or probably even the second time onwards, you start uh, seeing the things improve. So,
1: so when you were, when you were just talking about the differences between a saddle and a seat, uh. Uh, so I was I was just going back and uh, uh, relating it to what many newcomers do and they try to put a cushion or a seat or a saddle cover uh, which kind of moves it from a saddle to almost a seat.
2: Yeah, um, I, I understand what you are saying, uh, it is not a, a good thing to do, uh, it may give you a temporary mm. uh, relief but it is not good on a longer term, uh, when you are on a saddle you want your seat bones to be loaded, Okay. okay. so the pressure should be on the seat bones and not on some of the other softer tissues, I mean there would be pressure on the softer tissues but not as much, the majority of the pressure should be borne by the seat bones. When you are putting a softer cushion on the saddle, things change. So you don't want to do that, You the seat bones can sink in, uh, which means that the pressure is not on the seat bones anymore and uh, since, the, since the seat bones are sunk in, the pressure is actually on some of the other softer tissues, you don't want that and plus when you are talking about a seat, it uh, it is like wider. And uh, it, it may rub against your thighs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will. Uh, it will not just be supported by the seat bones, but lot of other muscles. Okay. Good quality cycle shorts has uh, has a little bit of padding around the the parts where the your, around your seat bones where, which are going to make contact with the saddle. Mm-hmm. So also it has padding uh, around the uh, softer tissues area. So it serves both. It helps okay. us. Um, eliminate the pain to an extent and it also reduces the chaffing the first part is basically getting used to it so first uh, couple of rides give yourself time not longer I mean don't ride longer
1: than an hour or so and in all probability you'll be fine so that 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 leads me to the uh, next obvious uh, situation where we face that even after a week or so Ah. some some riders still don't get over it even if they have done uh, progressively uh, lighter riding. So when do we know that uh, uh, we have to change the saddle?
2: The problem is that no uh, one saddle fits everybody alike. So a saddle which comes with the bike is, is designed in a generic way which assumes the rider to have a certain physiology. Uh, certain um, amount, a certain kind of a riding style and the saddle is based on that. But the problem here is again a rider, uh, I mean the saddle is designed for a generic rider but you, me or Harsha, we are not generic, yeah. we, are, we are very specific, right. So if you are lucky the saddle will work, if you are not lucky that saddle may not uh, work. So this becomes a, uh, more of a concern as the rider starts spending more time on the saddle. So so for example, the rider with very high pelvic flexibility might find a wider saddle rubbing against his or her inner thighs. Similarly, someone suffering from numbness around pubic area might benefit from a saddle with a cutout. So what I am trying to say is uh, a a stock saddle hopefully will work with most of us. Mm -hmm. But however, there would be scenarios where the stock saddle will not work. And we need to find a saddle which suits the rider's riding style mm. his um, mm. and his physiological parameters. Somebody with a wider seat bone will need a different saddle. Okay. Somebody who has more uh, mm. higher pain sensitivity around the seat bones uh, mm. and, uh, will need different saddle. Actually, it is true. Like mm. uh, You and me may be very similar in terms of the bone structure, but the, your pain sensitivity may be mm. higher. Yeah. Okay. So which means... The pressure on our seat bones may be very similar. Okay. So, this pressure that I have on my seat bones is exactly same as yours, like as an assumption. Mm. But, I will be able to feel it much more and I will not be able to be comfortable and for you, it will be very natural. Mm. So, it is very
1: person
0: dependent uh, and so it is very…
1: Okay, got it.
0: So Krish, would you recommend uh, padded shorts for all rides? Uh, I mean, I used to ride with uh, just regular running shorts for about six months. Uh, Admittedly, the longest ride I did then was around 50 kilometers. So uh, less than three hours and it seemed fine for a while. But uh, at least I felt like it was a totally different experience to ride with padded shorts.
2: Yeah, I agree with you completely Harsha, so for me I would not go on a ride longer than an hour uh, without a uh, proper padded shots. Uh, I think it drastically changes the experience, however uh, over the past decade I have interacted with many riders and I know very few, but I still know people who ride without cycling shots and they are happy about it. So mm-hmm. I would like to leave it as something which is a personal choice. But if it is me, I would not go out uh, on a ride longer than an hour without a cycle Yeah, I
1: I also second uh, Krishna's thoughts, but uh, having said that, I guess it also depends on the kind of the saddle. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, uh, we have seen many uh, people touring the world come through uh, Hyderabad and they do pay a visit to us. And majority of them are on leather saddles. And majority of them, because uh, they are doing multi-day tours and they are fully loaded, they don't have space or uh, uh, the infrastructure to uh, to have enough uh, shots and wash them every day and so on. And they are all comfortable without uh, cycling shots. Uh, I think it also depends on the nature of how the saddle works, because a leather saddle actually transforms its shape to fit the rider's uh, anatomy and uh, so it becomes very comfortable so I I believe uh, depending on the kind of leather that it is, it takes anything between uh, 1000 to 1500 kilometers for the leather saddle to uh, take the shape of the rider's uh, Yeah, we we call it breaking in of the saddle. saddle. So so I I have seen so many of these uh, international tourists they are, and they are riding every day 100 and 150 kilometers for months together.
0: Yeah, but if you look at our roads, uh, can you really dare to These do guys that? Are riding on our roads, <laughs> or probably even worse
2: roads. <laughs> yeah, there is the people who don't use cycling shorts. In my observation also, they use laser saddles. But there are exceptions. We had one rider uh, who also worked with us for six months. His name is Chandu. And uh, we toured uh, the... Uh, the
1: Andhra.
2: Uh, Andhra, yeah. The, the Eastern Ghats uh, ah, for about okay. ten days uh, way back in two thousand eleven. Right. So actually, when I joined bike affair first, and as soon as uh, Gokul joined, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I did was <laughs> I took ten days off because till that time I didn't have the luxury. Right. Right. So I, me and him went, and he is one of the guys that uh, he he hardly used uh, cycling shorts. I think mm-hmm. uh, it is person-dependent, but those are exceptions. Yeah, even Dharma yeah. doesn't use uh,
1: cycling shots. Okay,
2: either. okay. But Dharma have seen riding yeah, shorts. shots. Yeah, he can manage without okay, cycling okay. Shots.
0: Yeah, and I remember Maninder uh, used to ride without shots for long. So, um, what I understand is unless you are a hardcore rider, you
1: probably want padded shorts. shots. Ah, I think you are yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's, okay. that's the right
0: way to sum it up. <laughs> 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 so, good stuff.
1: So, uh, uh, Krish, I'll throw a curveball uh, towards the end. Do you find any differences between uh, fitting a saddle for a man versus woman? Uh,
2: yes. So, with respect to the woman, the typically, typically, the the woman's saddle comes with a with the shorter. It's not as long as the men's saddle. It's mm-hmm. a shorter saddle. A
1: little wider, so the nose is shorter. I mean,
2: uh, the whole saddle is uh, yeah. shorter, right. and it's a little wider. But um, uh, I know very established bike fitter; uh, they don't uh, really distinguish so much. Like it's okay. I mean, you start with a woman saddle, but you are perfectly open that that saddle may not work for uh, a woman rider. and it's perfectly fine if you go to a men's saddle. Mm-hmm. So it is more on the comfort. It's there is no thumb rule. Similarly, we uh, I often recommend a woman's saddle to a uh,
0: to a man. Okay. So I mean, so it's totally dependent on your body architecture and your pain thresholds.
2: Yes. it is more likely that a men's saddle will work for a man, but uh, that ratio is probably sent 70-30, 30% chance that I, 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 the saddle so well. is
0: a pretty big number right I mean yes. I would have assumed it 90 10 but uh, it uh, still seems yeah, um, no, yeah. yeah that's surprising yeah
1: Krish, you you are talking about how uh, to figure out if the saddle isn't right but uh, uh, is it how do we know if it is just a saddle or if there is some other issue uh, uh, which is the root cause of the problem
2: Yeah uh, very good question. So uh, the way to approach a saddle issue is first we need to rule out any possibilities that the problem is not due to the way the saddle is set up which means that we start with setting up the saddle correctly. So there are typically three parameters that we need to take into account, one is the saddle height, the other is the saddle fore and aft and then the saddle tilt. So when all these three parameters are dialed in correctly and the rider is still having pain um, or mm, he is not comfortable on the saddle it's very likely that the problem is with the saddle at at that point of time the, i'm saying very likely because there could be other uh, issues but it is it is highly likely that it is the saddle at this point of time so at this point what i would tend to do is i would put him back uh, i would based on his riding style and uh, uh, based on his uh, physiological parameter, I will pick up a saddle or two and put him on the trainer and let him try out those two saddles for some time and see if he uh, if he is comfortable with uh, any particular one. And if it really helps, um, uh, it is a good idea for the rider actually uh, to borrow a saddle and try it out on a ride. Hmm.
1: Okay. Good, uh, so Krish, would you like to conclude by talking about any uh, what is the latest trend or any uh, the, the latest scientific uh, advances coming into saddles. Uh,
2: the the recent trend that um, uh, we have noticed is the saddles with stub nose. Mm-hmm. So uh, Specialized has been very successful in that. Uh, so when I say stub nose is basically the saddle is uh, the nose of the saddle is almost eliminated. It's just a little saddle so a little mm-hmm. nose. and. Uh, the saddle looks somewhere between a traditional saddle and a triathlon saddle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the the reason that uh, that has worked for a lot of people is it is uh, it is said to be comfortable on the drops because when if you are a kind of a rider who uh, tend to spend a lot of time on the drop, so, so you are drop really, as
0: in the aerodynamic position.
2: Uh, yes. So drop is basically you have the. Uh, you have the top tube, and you have the hoods, and you have the drop. Right. So, the drop is the bend, uh, the no, okay. part, Curve. The okay, part so of the handle right. part. part. Um, so, okay. which is which is the which is the where you spend your time when you want to be a little more aero, or when you are uh, sprinting. Uh, so, uh, if you are an aggressive rider and you tend to spend a lot of time on the drops, uh, the power saddle uh, from Specialized. Or there are a lot of other brands also which come up with the stub nose saddle. So they, they have actually worked very well for them. The reason being that a, a typical saddle uh, when you, or if you spend, uh, if you spend uh, a lot of time in aggressive posture on a typical saddle, you have your softer tissues rubbing against the nose of the saddle. So with the stub nose saddle, that is eliminated. Okay.
0: Okay, so I also want to talk about the Milan-San Remo that happened uh, this week and uh, there was a big hullabaloo about it on uh, some of the cycling Facebook pages. So Google, can you tell us a little bit about what this event
1: is, why it's become so famous? Sure, Uh, see uh, these kind of races are called as the Spring Classics. They happen around this time in Western Europe, primarily uh, Italy, France and Belgium. And these are all uh, typically one day races and since they are one day races they are reasonably long, uh, most of them are more than 200 kilometers long and uh, also uh, they, they mark the beginning of the uh, season of, for that year uh, and uh, uh, slowly lead people uh, towards the bigger grand tours that happen and uh, the characteristics of these races and the, the, the typical winners are very different from a grand tour. Uh, because these are all uh, uh, races which happen over a single day, uh, people have the uh, luxury of giving it all for that particular day. And many of these races also happen uh, right over uh, cobblestones, which are these old uh, uh, surfaces uh, built. And many of them are actually closed for traffic these days. Uh, they are uh, these big uh, stones uh, 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 lined across, and so they are almost not even road by territory. They are. Uh, that is why you find some of the uh, cyclocross champions being very um, good at winning these races so and uh, a few of these races uh, are uh, called as the monuments and uh, uh, five of them to be precise and the Milan San Romo is the first one of them Uh, the others are uh, Tour of Flanders, Paris, Roubaix and Leech, Baston Leech. these happen around the spring season and the Giro di Lombardia happens later in the year around October. So, uh, there have been just uh, uh, three riders in history who have uh, won all of the five uh, monuments, Roger uh, Don Vlamek, uh, Rick Van Looy, and Eddie Merckx. So, uh, these are very, very tough races. If you see uh, the uh, post-race interview of any of these races, you will find uh, dark spots in their faces. Uh, where, they have, um, uh, where uh, the face is exposed beyond the, the sunglasses and the, the helmet know they really go through a uh, lot of torture and uh, uh, tough uh, racing conditions. And uh, also uh, people a uh, lot of uh, good bike handling skills are required. Uh, there are many of these races which have a lot of climbs in between and each race is very different so
0: So when you say a single day race, So does it become about endurance or is it about riding steadily at a certain pace over various terrains because I was watching a few videos of the Mm -hmm. uh, Milan San Remo and I could see that there was at least one serious climb and uh, one uh, serious descent, Mm -hmm. not just uh, a climb.
1: Uh, Yeah, beautiful question. So, uh, uh, see, endurance is also a, 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 a relative question, right? And endurance, you obviously endurance plays a role because uh, you are riding uh, for more than six hours uh, at very high speeds. So if you don't have good endurance, you are not going mm-hmm. to be able to mm-hmm. come anywhere close to completing it. You know, it's, uh, the Milan Zandramo is the longest of the uh, Spring Class X. It is 291 kilometers long. And the, I think the winner finished it in about uh, 6 hours and 40 minutes <laughs> so <laughs> endurance of course plays a huge role but it is a different kind of endurance uh, as against a grand tour winner because right. in a grand tour winner uh, the uh, it happens over 3 weeks and mm-hmm. approximately 20 days of riding each day is uh, approximately 150 kilometers and some of these are over uh, very uh, steep climbs on uh, the alps uh, or other mountains so while both have endurance this has a different kind of endurance and uh, no mass start harsha is ever uh, won by a steady state effort right that is that is more like individual time trial criteria leaving out the fact if you are in a long breakaway wherein you can have a uh, you break away and then you can have a steady state effort and win it but that is very very difficult Uh, and of course there are different races which uh, would uh, uh, you know which would suit a breakaway artist uh, and so on Uh, in this particular race uh, this is a relatively longer race and it is not as hilly or doesn't have uh, that many cobblestones per se but just the the distance in becomes the biggest challenge no
2: cobblestones at all i think milan no started. no no cobblestones at all
1: correct uh, and uh, in uh, the milan san remo like you mentioned there are a couple of small climbs in the last 20 kilometers there is one called uh, cipressa which is about 5.5 kilometers uh, with 4.1 percentage average uh, elevation and the last one which happens uh, uh, between uh, you know uh, the last five kilometers to go till about a kilometer to go is the Poggio uh, which is about 3.7 kilometers and uh, 3.7 percentage uh, gradient as well and that is where traditionally in the last few occasions or many occasions the decisive uh, attack happens last year Vincenzo Nibali attacked at the Poggio and went ahead and won Vincenzo Nibali is uh, more of a climber and not Mm -hmm. really a sprinter and uh, 2016 uh, again, uh, uh, a few riders including the top three, that is uh, Mikhail Kwiatkowski, um, Peter Sagan and Julian Filipe, uh, attacked on the Poggio and uh, probably in a very rare occasion actually Peter Sagan was pipped uh, on a sprint finish by uh, uh, by Kwiatkowski. So, uh, in fact, this year's race was, uh, was very similar. Yeah. Uh, and uh, quite uncharacteristic of Peter Sagan he was in the wrong position and that I think really really uh, caused him the win today what happened was there was a person who attacked uh, at about um, 800 meters or a kilometer to go both uh, Alaphilippe and uh, Peter Sagan followed him Uh, uh, Alaphilippe was a little ahead but uh, the person who had attacked realized it's not going to last and he immediately slowed down so both sagan and uh, ala philippe slowed down but uh, sagan slowed down a little later because he was behind and he ended up being ahead right. so so they were they drastically slowed down the pace and uh, uh, sagan was just looking behind for uh, uh, monitoring who is going to attack and stuff like that and then finally the attack did happen he was already like the 5th or 6th person behind he didn't throw in a big uh, sprint at the end to cross a few riders no, I,
2: thought, I thought he got boxed as well he didn't have the
1: space to get out no he didn't get boxed actually he what he did was he uh, a sprinter one of the characteristics of a sprinter is he is trying to reduce the Sides from which somebody can overtake him. Mm -hmm. So, Sagan was trying to come to the right so that he restricts that people could overtake only from the left. And in that process, he kind of went behind and he didn't time that uh, uh, attack very well. Okay.
2: Okay.
1: I I mean, um, I'm pretty sure Julian Alaphilippe and uh, Peter Sagan he put them together on a sprint finish nine out of ten times. Sagan is going to win it. Uh, yeah, closed. closed. Alaphilippe
2: <laughs> has been in great form, yeah. but, but he's, he's is primarily
1: a, a climber. Okay. okay. He's mm. a primarily a punchy climber. Okay. Uh, he's not. Uh, he's more like the uh, Quintana kind of more punchy climber. He yeah. would. Uh, he. He would uh, benefit in a steeper climb. Mm. So, mm. So it was a fantastic race and. Uh, um, in preparation for today's uh, uh, podcast, I was looking at what we can uh, tell differently, and I went back to my to our first episode, wherein we thought that we'll bring in a uh, unique perspective. So I started trolling these guys on social media. That is <laughs> Strava. So, so interestingly, uh, uh, you can find about fifty of uh, these riders' uh, data on Strava. Oh. Uh, so. I, I so, this is
0: publicly available. I could go out and get yeah, and first. take a look at this. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll
2: actually do school. that yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's like throughout or the, or the race yeah, data? Throughout. Or? throughout. I, I can see. Uh, Their three, training data,
1: huh? Not training data, Milan race data. Oh, okay. 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 Hey, so, isn't that like, uh, I don't know, privilege? So, what most of these guys do is they don't publish the very personal, actual power and heart rate data. Okay. 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 They release the cadence data. Anyways, uh, GPS-based uh, distance and speed data is available, and uh, Strava uses its uh, technology to calculate estimated power. Ah, uh, okay. okay. And which is reasonably, <laughs> which is pretty accurate actually. Yeah. I mean, so so some very interesting points uh, I just
0: want to interrupt and say that I've always thought sharing on social media is for people who want to be famous rather than no,
1: who are already, somebody's somebody's already there. <laughs> no I mean so you, you, you know, I was looking at kudoski's uh, raised data he has 1500 comments yeah. and 10,000 odd uh, no uh, 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 makes him more famous yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know because um, it's. I guess it's like uh, I guess we are like those people who go to twitch and watch uh, people play counter strike this is kind of like that right <laughs> <laughs> trash talk maybe hey your power went down at certain times I don't think we
1: will be able to talk too much about power going down with these guys just to give you uh, uh, talk to you about uh, what I am talking about uh, Kudoski's uh, estimated watts per kg was 5.18.
0: Okay, so I have to I have to stop you there, back up and say, so that, what is the reasonable number exactly and why yeah. this is big? Yeah, see, most
1: uh, yeah, m- most of us will have our, uh, uh, a good uh, a good rider. Uh, in India, will have somewhere around three to three and a half. So now let's let's
0: sort let's of back up. About Let, yeah, no, the, let's talk about like uh, you, Gokul, mm-hmm. who are a serious rider, yeah. and you did well at BBCH. Uh. Now, what what is your number, and uh. how do we compare with? Uh. I'm I'm not like uh, I, this is for my understanding in the sense. Sure, that, sure, sure. Uh, what are th- how far am I from? Uh, this
1: yeah, thing? so I am um, around three watts per kg. So right. so my FTP yeah. is around uh, 220 watts and I am around 70 kilos. So so I'm around uh, uh, around the three watts uh, uh, range. For the BBCH race itself, I think uh, that was a completely flat uh, individual time trial for 33 kilometers, and uh, I had an average power of about 210. And of course. So uh, even there, I had uh, exactly three watts per kg mm-hmm. and. Uh, Probably the the top pros in India might have a, a, f- a threshold power of somewhere close to between 260 and two, mm-hmm. uh, 300, I guess. And uh, these guys uh, might be weighing around 65 70 kgs as well. So they are probably around 3.5 uh, to 4 uh, watts per kg, probably closer to the 4 watts per kg. And uh, in this ride, uh, uh, Kudowski was 5.18.
0: So he was about, uh, he was uh, about 25%, 25% percent better than a regular pro. Uh, uh, an Indian pro. Indian pro. And yeah. he's not Indian. a small dude, right? I mean, he's a reasonably. He's a small dude. He's, he's small a small dude, dude. Yeah, Okay. So well, what he's, about Alaphilly?
1: He's, Alaphilly is, is muscular. Dude. Uh, he is muscular. Yeah. Uh, in between, uh, he's not as muscular as uh, Peter Sagar but he's he's he's
0: still muscular and he and you know his numbers by any chance uh, he
1: didn't publish his data uh, see uh, the winners don't publish winners <laughs> don't publish <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah i Nibali's data is there uh, right data is there i saw uh, like i said around 50 people are there roman bade's data was there oh. so so yeah and so cool. the, the and his average uh, power estimated average power was 344 watts His cadence was 91 watts and 91 rpm and uh, very interestingly on the Poggio climb uh, which is we we talked about it happens in the last 5 kilometers and it's about 3.7 kilometers long. It's a very mild climb, 3.7 percentage gradient. Uh, His average watts was 520 watts and his cadence in that section significantly increased. He managed that with 101 rpm cadence. So he mm-hmm. was just you know spinning like crazy around that point.
0: See, this is something I don't understand. Um, if he's spinning at a later stage on a climb, how can it not affect the la the the sprint that comes? Like he, and he actually beat Peter Sagan in the last few hundred meters. That's.
1: he uh, so with- came second or third, so th- I think he came third. Okay. Uh, of course, he was still on the podium yeah. he, and he did beat, and he uh, did beat. Uh, Peter beat. S- Peter Sagan yeah. came fourth. Yeah. So you see that is what these guys train for, mm-hmm. right, I mean uh, a, a sprinter, especially in a bicycle kind of scenario in these mass starts, the, you need to uh, think of it like an interval, right. So the, these guys are trained to sprint, recover, sprint, recover, mm-hmm. right. So the, the, that is one of the ways they train also. However. In an ideal scenario, if it was a sprinter's finish, they are not really going to go through these phases where in sprint recovery, probably, a, a, you know, uh, they might have a proper uh, a launch train and then they just launch off at the end. Yeah. But again, even in those scenarios, the launch train is probably riding at about 55 kilometers per hour and these guys are launching at 60-65 km per hour. So, yeah. it's not as if these guys are slow. I mean, and uh, uh, this Poggio climb, his average speed was uh, 37 kilometers per hour. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, Even on a climb Uh, And after 290 kilometers of riding So
0: I went out for a spin in the morning And I was at uh, 22 kilometers per hour So someone riding on a hill Was apparently at 37 Which is
1: Uh, I I, I did the same Uh, uh, I looked at the Strava profile For movie towers climb Which is about a kilometer long And an average gradient mm of 5% The the KOM there is at uh, 25 kilometers per hour Really that's Low? low? Yeah, it's that really low. I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty good considering a climb. Uh, what speed do you think uh, you, I, and you will be climbing it. the movie towers?
0: So on movie towers, which is uh, what?
1: Which f- is about a, f- a kilometer long, 5% average 5% gradient. 5%
0: average gradient and I am going around... Uh, okay, now I have to back up and say maybe 18. <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> I, if you are able to climb movie towers on 18, you are you are a pretty good rider yeah, actually. See, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah so those guys feel, uh, going at 37 I don't have to feel still feel so bad about 18 <laughs> 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 by the way for those who don't know movie towers is like a very popular training place in Hyderabad and it's a nice hill with roads three way mm-hmm. um, and generally the roads are good on all three sides except on one side it's going a little bad now yeah. but uh, hopefully it will improve and there's not much traffic so that's Probably yeah. the added advantage there. True. Yeah.
1: True. And uh, so they just climbed that. The story doesn't end there. Mm-hmm. They descended Poggio, and the last, uh, as soon as they come downhill, the 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 last two kilometers of the race are left, and the average for that was 59.6 kilometers per hour. Wow. Uh, for Gudowski's uh, uh, data and uh, his average estimated power was around 700 watts, 720 mm-hmm. watts. Mm-hmm. So, so the, it's some serious uh, stuff out there. Right. And, uh, right, I was just wondering, like uh, I was watching another video to figure out things Just imagine if you are riding for 6 hours 40 minutes at 40 kilometers per hour and you do have a few climbs in between, it's not like pan flat or anything like that and for a lot of duration they were also riding along the coast so I don't know about the wind conditions there. Uh, Imagine how many times you would have to eat and uh, I Hmm. was seeing that Nibali actually missed his feed. Uh, in the last time. no. Yeah, there was
0: footage of him trying to grab something but he couldn't grab it. And
1: uh, Nibali was also there amongst all these guys. I think uh, he finished in top 10 as well. So, so... um, I I would assume if Nibali
2: misses his feet, somebody else from the team is going to come and give. Yeah, I don't think that happened. I don't think it
1: happened because
0: even the commentator was saying, oh no, he missed it.
1: So, so, yeah. So, of course, uh, not always it happens... uh, Uh, good uh, missed feed is a a recipe for disaster usually it was more talked about that uh, even uh, after missing his feed it didn't seem to affect him too much okay Uh, but uh, yeah I mean uh, if you if you look at how the Giro was won last year by Fru, uh, it was by a micromanagement of the feed in yeah. the last few uh, stages, okay. uh, and I believe in that particular climb, which where he actually won the, uh, made the decisive move. He had more than ten people giving him feeds along the road. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, more than ten people,
2: huh? yeah.
1: <laughs> So that was uh, that. So was
2: basically, ten people tries, and he picks up only one. No, no, no,
1: no. There were ten different feed points, or okay. something. So like he that. did I mean, it he, ten times. Yeah, okay. even I, I believe even the PR guy was asked to uh, come to a feed oh, okay. of team sky oh, okay so so they uh, I mean that, that is that was the differentiator between him winning and losing mm-hmm. in zero so uh, so yeah I, I think it's a very very uh, important thing we all should go back and look at from a training point of view is uh, uh, is how you control your uh, nutrition and uh, ideally in the right word to use is not nutrition how do you control your fueling because this is the fuel which mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which will power you so if you don't uh, if you m- if you don't plan your fuel well it is as good as not filling up air in your tires like, right uh, you're just not prepared so uh, and there is no shame in uh, uh, planning the nutrition well and in fact it should be Uh, there should be shame if you don't plan your nutrition well and uh, do plan and uh, that is the key to uh, be able to complete these kind of races we will conclude this week's edition of the podcast with a few announcements about the events happening in hyderabad the first event is on march 31st it is a discussion about nutrition a panel discussion between uh, uh, suha chandramoli who is an eminent nutritionist and uh, Gautam pothineni who is a well respected marathon runner and bicyclist. This event is going to happen at 4 pm on 31st of March at uh, the Bike Affair bicycle store in Kondapur, Hyderabad. The next event is the following Sunday that is on 7th of February, monthly ride organized by the Bike Affair. There are a couple of very interesting changes uh, this month. One is that uh, considering the raising heat we are just doing one ride instead of uh, 50 and 100 we are going to do have only the 70 kilometer ride and the special guest for the day would be uh, maxwell traverser one of the best uh, cyclists india has ever produced you will get a chance to ride with him and post the ride he will also talk about his experiences and inspire us the registration for this event is open now and uh, they will be closing on saturday the 30th of March the last event is the Hyderabad racing circuit uh, race on the 14th of April this is going to be a mass start and this is not going to be a handicap race there are three categories amateur masters and elite Um, the masters and amateur will be uh, 52 kilometers long and the elite is 80 kilometers long The registrations are open. You can register for this event by going to the Facebook page of uh, Hyderabad Racing Circuit.
0: Thanks to Krish for coming over. Thank you Harsha. It was a pleasure uh, being here and and speaking about
2: uh, the saddle issues. Hopefully it will be of some help to the
1: listeners. I am sure we are going to hear more from uh, Krish in the future episodes. Uh, he'll be our in-house podcast expert on uh, anything related to bike fit so uh, if you have any questions keep it pouring and uh, we'll have krish come back a little later and answer them
0: yeah so if you have any questions bike fit events otherwise please send us your uh, queries at uh, podcast at com. do recommend the podcast to your friends and give us thoughts on what you would like us to cover That's it for today. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: See you guys.